which is now the least evangelized area on earth, I think. But at one time, it was a hub of evangelism. And our heart for Muslims to come to Christ, I think, is easiest to be fulfilled other than in America, in Turkey, maybe in Germany, because Germany has the fifth largest Turkish city in the world, which is Berlin. Um, And so just keep in mind that these churches receive warnings from Christ, and look what happened. They're, They're just barely hanging on there now. Some of them no longer exist. So these words are very important. It would do well that we heed them. So let's listen to this particular letter written to the church in Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man may take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make, him that overcometh will I make a pillar God. in the temple of my God, no and he shall go no more out. And I will, write upon, him and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right, let's look at this text a little more closely. Verse 7 begins, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, This city is now known as Alashir, which means the city of Allah. Um, It was founded by a man named Philadelphus, and it was easy to call it Philadelphia because it's a good name for a city, which means uh, brotherly love. Uh, city name for that. Uh, one of the local mosques there is believed to have been the actual gathering place of this congregation. These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David. What is this key of David business? Well, here's what I believe. David was promised by the Lord prophetically that he would have a dynasty and that the scepter would never leave his house. In other words, he would have a descendant who would be a king forever. And this was fulfilled by Jesus. When you read his story and you see people crying out to him, have mercy on me, son of David, they are appealing to him on the basis of him being the Messiah, that is the son of David, who would come and rule forever. He has the key of David. A, a key is, implies ownership and implies authority. If you have keys to a car, it needs to be your car, right? (laughs) Uh, If you have keys to someone else's car, they should have given you authority to have those keys. So keys speak of ownership as well as authority. These things says he who is holy, he who is true. This is none other than Jesus Christ. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts 
and no one opens. This speaks of supreme authority. No, no, no other being could be spoken of in this way that's ever lived. One who shuts and no one can open. If he shuts it and opens, no one can shut him out. He can open whatever he wants. So he's got supreme authority. All right, the next passage. I know your works. He knows our works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Some believe this open door is a door of hope or a door into the joy of the Lord. And I don't want to downplay that because I believe this open door actually ultimately results in the joy of the Lord. Um, but I believe it speaks of doors of opportunity for ministry because we see this throughout the Scriptures. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16, while he's in Ephesus, he wrote that a great and effectual door had been opened to him in his ministry. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 2.12, Paul wrote, I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and the door was opened to me. Um, Colossians 4.3 says, Praying for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. Acts 14.27 uh, they reported all that God had done with him and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Jesus himself, when he sent his disciples out two by two, he says, if you go into a village and they reject you, leave there. In other words, uh, only go where the door has been opened for you to receive ministry. Don't waste your time. So we all know if we're going to be effective, God needs to open doors for us, right? He's the one that opens doors, not us, that no one can open and closes those that no one can open. I believe, according to biblical precedent, that this open door, speaking of, was opportunity for ministry that he's given to this church. And I want to speak on that, but let's look at the rest of the passage. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Uh, the Lord recognizes their weakness, but this door he's opening for them is a door of possibility that they're going to be strong enough to handle. Who knows the power within us is greater than the task the Lord has for us. What he calls us to do, he will enable us to do. We spoke about persecution and suffering last Sunday when we looked at the letter to the church in Smyrna, and we saw the heroic death of the angel of that church, the messenger there, Polycarp, how he died like a man. What a way to die. And uh, how did he do that? God gave him the strength he needed when he needed to do it. So don't lie awake at night thinking, oh, no, the Muslims are coming, or oh, no, they're going to pick on us Christians. Oh, no, if things get tough for us, the power of God is strong enough to enable us to do what we need to do. Amen? A fearlessness will fill your very being. You'll be able to have a backbone and stand up in the face even of death. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Now, this is an interesting phenomenon. I, I personally believe, this is my belief, that Satan hates the church. He hates the people of God. He hates God's word. He hates his covenants. And God made a covenant with a man named Abraham years ago to bless his descendants. Therefore, Satan also hates the Jews. Who's noticed anti-Semitism is on the rise? That being the case, why would there be people claiming to be Jews who are not, pretending to be, and actually being demonic? Why would this be true? Well, 
If you can't beat them, sometimes the enemy has a, has a tactic called join them. And this is not an uncommon thing even in our day and throughout history. In the first century, in spite of their being persecuted, I found this from the Jewish New Testament commentary, the Jewish religion was highly regarded in the first century in spite of their being persecuted. Many Gentiles became proselytes of Jewish Judaism. It is not surprising that other Gentiles preferred a shortcut, reaping a perceived advantage of identifying with Jewish people. Should it be thought probable that Gentiles would call themselves Jews, consider the following modern examples. In England, there's the British Israelites. I don't know if you've heard of them, but there's a clan of people that believe the British are the lost tribes of Israel. It can be proven that that is not true. The Mormons not only consider themselves to be the lost tribes, but regard themselves as Jews and everyone else, including Jews, as Gentiles. There is a sect in our day of mostly African-American-born blacks who consider themselves to be true Hebrews and even have a settlement in Israel. And it's not true. They've just come up with a a set of scriptures that are all taken out of context to prove their Jewishness. There's nothing historically uh, uh, true about that. Even though they have been scattered all over the world and there are black Jews, it's not necessarily true that you're Jew because you're black. Without exception, um, in addition, scattered about are well-meaning Gentile Christians whose strong identification with and love for Jewish people has made them believe without any evidence that they are Jewish too. So this is, this is a phenomenon they had then that we see in our day uh, that I, I just think it's a little bit interesting. It's not our point of the sermon today, but it's there in the passage. Because you have kept my commandment to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. So Christ commands us to persevere, and this church was keeping that command. And he promises here that if we'll persevere in hard times, he will keep us in hard times. In John 17, uh, Jesus prayed to the Father, Father, keep them from being overcome by Satan. So he can keep us from trials, but he can also keep us in trials. Who would know that that's true? Um, There are some difficult seasons we go through where you may be tempted to even question your faith, even question God. And in that severe of a temptation or trial, Christ is able to empower us to hold on, to be patient, to persevere, and your faith will pay off in the long run. Who could testify that is true? You've had your faith tested, and Christ, you, you held on. You did not give up. That's him keeping you in the trial that he didn't keep you from. Got to have the right prepositions here. Some people believe that if you're a true Christian, he'll keep you from all problems. That is not true. But many times he'll keep us in the midst of problems so we don't fail in our faith. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Uh, In Jerusalem at that time, there was a temple that had two pillars that had names. And the names of the pillars were Yaquin or Jaquin and Boaz, meaning stability and strength, which I think is significant written to this church that was in a community that was hit with earthquakes all the time. That 
he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar. I will make him a, a, a person of stability. And he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down, of, comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. What are these three names? Are they spiritual tattoos? I don't think so. I think they are positions. That if we reflect on it, it's pretty easy to understand. I will write on him the name of my God. When God's name is on you, it, to me, tells me that he owns me. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. I am his. Um, when somebody asks you whose name is your car title in, they're asking you, do you own the car or does somebody else own it? Does the bank own it? Um, name implies ownership. I'll write on him the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. To me, this speaks of citizenship. I've got new Jerusalem written on me already. I don't have a physical passport, but spiritually, our citizenship is in heaven. There's an old song that says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The heavens beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I screamed too much already. So anyway, oh, Lord, you know, I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, oh, Lord, what will I do? Anyway, so our citizenship is in heaven, which comes down from heaven. So we have a place to look forward to. It's the same city that Abraham looked for, looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And Jesus says, and I will write on him my new name. To me, this speaks of authority. We have ownership. We are owned by God. Citizenship, we are promised a home in heaven. And authority. All authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth, and he's given us his name to the point that it is ours. Not in myself, but in him, I have all that I need for life and godliness. Isn't that good? And he ends with the words to this letter. I didn't leave it here because of the room on the screen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So while we are not there in Philadelphia in the first century, we are here now, and the Spirit said these things, and they stand for all time, I believe, in the age of the church that if we will overcome, the Lord will stabilize us. Peter wrote that. He, after you've suffered a while, he will settle you, establish you, bless you in every way. So let's look at our text today, which is from, uh, I think it's verse 10. I know your work. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. I would like to talk to you today about doors of opportunity. Are you open to opportunities? Ask your neighbor that question. Billy Graham said, The modern world has said to have made discipleship harder, but it has also made evangelism easier. Today's world is said to be multiplying in crises and problems all around us. But we must never forget, for the gospel, each crisis is an opportunity. In the 90s, when earthquakes devastated cities in Turkey, guess 
where the Christians sent teams to Turkey to help share the love of God in a place. In that country in 1960, I think they were down to like 10 Christians. So here we are, what, 49 years later? They now have 2,000 believers in Turkey. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So watch Turkey. Great things are going to happen there. So when problems come, the problems are opportunities. Man's extremity, my dad used to say, man's extremities, as big problems, are God's opportunities. So what problems are you dealing with now that are actually opportunities to serve in some new way or to learn some big big lesson or to grow up in a certain area? All of life has many opportunities for us. Are you open to opportunities? So we need to be open. So we're going to just talk about five little things that are necessary to be open to opportunities. We must see that all disappointments are not final. When a person throws their hands up and says, my life is over, I'm finished, it's useless, there's no hope. It's not true. There are opportunities in that thing. When your little child interrupts you and you're in the, in the middle of an important discussion, that is an opportunity, an illustration to use to teach them manners. So all problems have opportunities inside of them. We must view interruptions as possible opportunities. Alexander Graham Bell said, We often look so longingly and painfully at closed doors that we miss the ones that have opened for us. Must not allow interruptions or distractions and disappointments to get us off course. Years ago in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, an old couple came into a full hotel on a rainy night at 11 p.m. and asked for a room without any, having reservations. The night clerk could have rejected them and said, are you crazy? It's raining outside. It's 11 at night. You have no reservation. I can't help you. We're all filled up. But he didn't do it. He said, well, look, we've got some rooms under remodeling. We can clean one of them up. If you be patient with me, we'll get you a room. It's not the best. But, and we'll have the housekeeper clean it up and put some flowers in there. Wait for a few minutes. I'm sure you can be comfortable tonight. I'd hate to send you back out into the rainy night. He took this interruption as an opportunity to do something that was uncommon for a hotel. When the night maid came back and said the room is clean, the clerk said, now you can go upstairs. I'll fix you some tea. What a way to handle an interruption. A year and a half later, when the Great Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York was built and finished, John Jacob Astor, who was the man with his wife who came to the hotel that night, said, I want to hire that night clerk to manage this entire hotel. You never know when interruptions can turn into opportunities. How many blessings has my anger robbed me We must spot distractions that blind us to opportunities. Think about this. How many people do you think failed to heed Jesus' call to follow me? Because they were busy with good things. 
They had a purchase they were making, and they needed to go look at what they were going to buy. I mean, there's a parable about this. Uh, they had a loved one who was aging that they needed to go check on. They had a future spouse they were going to marry that they needed to spend time courting. They had a meal they were preparing, etc. What an opportunity was theirs, but they missed it simply because they were distracted by good things. Some wisdom in there for us to consider. We must focus. This sounds like an odd statement. We must focus for opportunities to be able to find opportunities. Focus the lens of our eye for something. In other words, be on the lookout. Not on something because you don't know where the opportunity is. Just just be ready. Be, Be a little more flexible for opportunities to be able to find them. There may be someone that you're going to lead to Christ today. And because you've got an open heart, possibly as a result of hearing this sermon or because you're just an awesome person growing in Christ, because you've got an eye, if we have an eye for opportunity, a fruit can come out of that. How many miracles and signs and wonders are waiting on us? You know, the action is out there. You know that. It's not at a conference. It's really out there in the streets, in the marketplace. Think about it. We must perceive our purpose as not being our own. If my purpose is mine, then I have a very self-centered focus, and that will rob me of opportunities. But I've been given a purpose that's not for my benefit. It's for the benefit of others. I'll be benefited, we'll be benefited along the way, but our purpose is, is for others. There's a calling that God has given us. Olin Griffin said, we have a calling much higher than kicking at pesky dogs. Some people get so focused on problems, insignificant things maybe, we forget, hey, we're called to live above and not beneath. Billy Graham is so focused on bringing the gospel in every venue and he always seems to find a way to share it when he was young. Now he's not getting much opportunity. His use of the microphone check before being interviewed illustrates the intensity of his focus. Before a mic check, many will, for a mic check, many will count to ten. Testing, one, two, three. Testing, one, two, three. Billy Graham would always quote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would perish, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting Live. I do know that scripture, I promise you. <laughs> when asked why he did that, he says, if I'm not able to communicate the gospel during this interview, at least I will have done it and the sound man will have heard the gospel. <laughs> Keep our eyes open for opportunities. We have opportunities locally, and I'm going to share some of them with you right here today. If you're bored in your spiritual walk, or if you're tired of a self-centered walk, whatever, here's some things that will help you journey beyond yourself and find great fulfillment, great opportunities. Ministry to God is an awesome... The the ministry of worship is awesome. You can find a closet somewhere, a room somewhere, and spend time with God reading His Word, praying and worshiping and bringing a blessing to His heart. And in so doing, out of that will flow an encouragement, an inspiration to do something for somebody. It will refocus our opportunity scope. 
ministry in the church. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do in a church. Strengthen the children's ministry. Our children's ministry is not a babysitting service. It's the most important part of the church. Without it, we die. When a church has empty nurseries, it's a sad, sad thing. Yeah, but there's no bawling and squalling and there's no stinking. Yeah, and there's no living either. Our jails. The churches of Granbury have banded together and have ministry on Monday nights at the Juvenile Center. J.P. Grantham, a member here who works in children's ministry, he may be in there today, um, leads that on Monday nights. Thursday night, they meet at the county jail. Other believers meet there. Opportunity for you to go and serve. Our families, um, your kinfolks, your children, your parents, your cousins, they need Jesus. They need the love of God. Let's not sequester ourselves in our Christian ghetto and not have anything to do with the heathens that we don't care to be around. Somehow take advantage of holidays to just show the love of God, especially this summer. Let's do it more than ever. Amen. Our hospitals, uh, you know, our hospital here in town kind of has a reputation that it's trying to live down, trying to overcome. We can help be part of the solution. There's opportunities to volunteer always in hospitals. In the marketplace, there's places to serve, opportunities that spring up expected or unexpected. Nursing homes. Man, there's a whole ministry waiting. You want to preach? There's, there's pulpits everywhere. You've got to start somewhere. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. In our neighborhoods, the sky's the limit. Secular social services are opportunities to serve. Uh, Meals on Wheels is hurting for drivers. Opportunities. Parachurch Ministries, you've got Mission Granbury, People Helping People, Joseph's Locker, all kinds of other areas where people can take advantage of opportunities to serve and go and be a benefit for someone. Doors are open. One day we're going to stand before God and he's going to ask us, did you... Walk through those doors I gave you. What is he speaking to your heart today? Can we just bow our heads? Father, we just pray in the name of Jesus that um, we would step up and begin to see opportunities that are beyond ourselves in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, to do things that make an eternal significance. Amen. Amen. You know, I believe God blesses his people with material things, and I believe he calls us to be stewards of those things, to take good care of them. But how many times can you dust a house? Or how many times can you wash a car? I mean, once it's clean, it's clean. Just take a check. If, it's, if you're doing it too much, it's because you've got a lot of energy that can benefit somebody. <laughs> I'm going to share with you now, this is probably the point of my sermon today, an incredible international opportunity. And we're talking about the Internet. We're talking about this website, globalmediaoutreach.com. It's an arm of Campus Crusade for Christ, which has 90 websites right now in 11 languages presenting the gospel over 17 million times last year. Apparently, 2 million plus people a day do spiritual searches on the Internet. Every day, 2 million people will do a search. And if they type in God or Jesus, one of the first ones to come up on Google is globalmediaoutreach.com. 
In 2008, over 3 million people indicated they wanted to become a Christian. You know, they check boxes and jump through the hoops. Could that be real or not real? I'm not sure. But 669,000 plus, 669,000 over, over that number, signed up for online discipleship. They wanted to communicate with someone to help them in their Christian walk, to help them with the Bible, to help them answer their questions, to help them find a church. The opportunity today exists because of the current 3,000 volunteers who are not enough to, com- to communicate one-on-one with all of those who are waiting for discipleship. After being screened and trained online, those who volunteer to help can begin with their first person to disciple almost immediately, and they can add more persons if they wish to do so at their own pace. You know, you hit the give me another one button. Utmost care is taken to protect personal identity and information like that. It's, the communication is always done through their website. So each day or every other day or once a week, you go and check for messages from this person, and you communicate online with people from on the other side of the world. The response has been so huge, they have to shut down the Spanish website. Not enough people to respond to the needs, so they just turned it off for now. So there's a tremendous opportunity to do something in the area of world missions right from your living room, your office, your kitchen, wherever you have your computer. Tremendous opportunity. And the reports are, The believers that do this experience an incredible sense of purpose and have a spiritual awakening happen in their own life. If you're bored, if you're dry, if you're empty, saints, here's an opportunity to see the power of God flow through you. They'll train us. They will enable us. I'm going to do this. It's all coordinated by them. It's free. You're already paying the expense of having that thing. God knows there's enough nonsense online that this thing can be used for good. We can now do world missions from our houses. The days of wishful thinking, oh, I wish I could go on a mission trip, are long gone. We can do significant things right now. We can help baby Christians all over the world to grow spiritually and to find church homes. Those who are doing this are reporting awesome spiritual awakening in their own lives. And if you think the Internet has, has reached its capacity, think again. Watch this.
when this church started, I remember there were TV commercials on about the information highway that was coming. You remember that? Early 90s. It's here. Opportunity is there for good. And God knows it's being used for evil. But there's an opportunity there for good. Consider it. Global Media uh, Outreach.com. Find it, explore it. If you like what you see, contact them. And they'll get you in through the doors for the training and the screening and all that other stuff. And if you speak Spanish, by all means, let them know. I am bilingual. The question today is, are you open to opportunities? I want to conclude with an opportunity that's uniquely ours as a church. The state of Texas voted uh, six years ago or so on whether or not churches could own more than five acres for future expansion and not be taxed on it. And it passed. We voted yes. But our legislators interpreted it to mean five years. You can own it five years and not be taxed. So during that season, we got out here and we had agricultural land that our neighbor's cattle roamed on, and now he sold that off. And so it's now under that five-year thing where it's not taxed because it's land for future expansion. All right, we're not ready to expand out that way yet, but we don't want to sell it, and we don't want to pay an arm and a leg in taxes. And every year, our tax appraisers are increasing the value of it to the max as though it is highway frontage property, and it is not. So what we've got to do during this next year is come up with a master plan of some sort to use in our negotiation and arguing. God knows I've been down there more than once with my personal stuff with, the, with our dear tax appraisers. And so with that, I would like to make a presentation. Uh, Jeff and uh, Gary, could you come up and help Jeff? Let's open this screen up. Come on up. Just rip that tape off. Yeah, this is a, like a screen. All right. pull, the, pull the tape off the screen itself. It's stuck on it. There we go. All right, here, let's put this hook in here. This is a collection of aerial photographs. Thank you, Gary and Mary Urkus, as well as some land photographs of our, of our acreage, 17 acres that we have here. For those of you that can't see it, let's put it on the screen. So think about it and give us feedback on what we can do back there. We're pretty sure what we're going to do here and between here and the highway, but back there, the sky's the limit on what we can do. I mean, we've heard everything from victory gardens for the community to an Olympic swimming pool that the community needs. I mean, just all kinds of other ideas we haven't had yet. Uh, all I ask is that you not attach your identity to the idea. If you share an idea, please release it. We did this before when we first bought this land and it worked. Nobody got mad and stomped off. Share your ideas. Share your intelligence with us. Amen. Can we stand?